You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting remotely for WFHB. This is Don Guerra. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, October 4th, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with the Communications Head of the Indiana Commission for Higher Education about the opening of the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, better known as FAFSA, in today's feature report. Also, coming up in the next half hour, City of Bloomington recycling services resumed to normal operations today. This comes after a recent spike in COVID cases among city workers in the sanitation department. But first, your daily headlines. City of Bloomington recycling services resumed as normal starting on Monday, October 1st. The return to regular operations comes after a COVID-19 outbreak last week forced the Sanitation Division of the Department of Public Works to halt recycling services for one week. During Friday's local COVID-19 press conference, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said positive cases among city residents reached the highest point since December 2020. He also touched on the pause in recycling. Uh, we did have six new cases this week. That brings uh, our month of September case count, positive case count for employees to 18. That's the highest month in 2021. Uh, the only higher month was December of 2020 with 20 cases. So that's a real indicator, at least from our workforce, of the, of the prevalence. Um, in fact, we had a substantial impact, as many know, at the sanitation department that had four symptomatic positive cases uh, and five more close contacts that meant we had to actually reduce services uh, during this past week. Uh, we, we couldn't pick up recycling in the regular way. We did what we could, but um, just didn't have the person power to be able to do that. Um, I will note that's really been uh, in 18 months, the first significant service reduction that we've had to implement. Um, on the one hand, I'm I I'm grateful for that. On the other hand, it's it's um, concerning that that happens 18 months in, and here we are. But uh, we'll be that folks are isolating and being tested, and we hope to return full services next week. So far, city employees reported 113 positive tests since the start of the pandemic. That includes workers for Bloomington Utilities, Bloomington Transit, and the Bloomington Housing Authority. Furthermore, COVID-19 was listed as a cause of death of one city worker. According to the city's U-Report system, at least one Bloomington resident remained unaware of the halt in recycling last week. The Highland Village resident said, quote, Although my trash was taken, my recycling was left Tuesday morning. There was no indication or notice sticker as to why. In a phone interview with WFHB, Public Works Director Adam Wesson commented on best recycling practices now that the schedule heads back to normal. 
You know, just a general reminder on, on recycling services. Um, you know, the, the cleaner and drier you're recycling, the, the better the product is for the processors. Um, clean recycling is key. We get a lot of contamination in our, our recycling, so keeping any trash and styrofoam or plastic cellophane bags, um, greasy pizza boxes aren't recyclable anymore. Um, so just the reminder of, you know, good, clean recycling is the best recycling in terms of uh, making sure that those products can have another use. For more information on trash and recycling services, you can contact Sanitation at 812-349-3443. At the Bloomington City Council Committee of the Whole, meeting on September 29th, Mayor John Hamilton shared that he supports the 2022 budget and hopes it will be approved by the council. Uh, I strongly believe that this in front of you is an excellent budget that incorporates the values of our community and moves us through tough times that we're in still, protecting our workforce and protecting our community, and also advancing us purposefully, proactively toward a better, more sustainable, and more equitable future. During public comment, Bloomington Commission on Sustainability member Nijla Rautsong urged the council to reconsider increasing the police budget in favor of providing affordable housing instead. When Mayor Hamilton introduced his budgetary recommendations in his public remarks to this council several weeks ago, he noted that public safety is the most basic function of any government. While providing safety from violent crime is one of the most fundamental roles of any government, research shows that increasing police funds has not been shown to reduce violence or even to solve more crimes. In fact, the most effective and lasting way to address violent crime is to address the root causes, including poverty, trauma, homelessness, addiction, and lack of adequate health care. Today, we are here from Because to remind the council that this city's most fundamental responsibility to its citizens is not to increase already police, already bloated police budgets, but to ensure the basic human survival needs of our citizens are met. Council member Sue Scambaluri shared her perspective on the ordinance and replied to Routsung's earlier public comment. I appreciate what the mayor has done with the $1,000 per quarter for five quarters. Um, it's a beginning, but it's just a beginning. It does not solve the long-term systemic issue um, that we have with, with recruitment and especially retention. And I appreciate Councilmember Sims putting a finer point on the distinction between those two issues. Um, I also, while I appreciate the comments offered by BCOS, I've always been troubled by the argument that attending to issues of public safety and investing in public safety and responding to issues of housing insecurity are mutually exclusive. We can't possibly do both. Um, I think we can. And I think that council has made some decisions in that regard. We are looking at expenditures in ARPA that are really significant, particularly in the arena of housing insecurity. Um, I think we still need to ask difficult questions about the kinds of resources we need in law enforcement. Um, I think I look forward to seeing us expand the number of social workers we have, the number of community resource officers we have um, to reduce that particular kind of burden on our sworn officers. Um, but I do feel we can address both of those issues. I don't feel those are mutually exclusive. The council voted four to zero to five 
passing on the ordinance to approve the 2022 salaries of officers of the police and fire departments. The votes at this meeting were for the approval of the ordinances. However, the final votes on the Bloomington 2022 budget will be taken on October 13th. At the December 29th meeting, the Monroe County Commissioners officially approved the mask mandate extension until the end of October. Health Director Penny Caudill explained the Board of Health's decision to extend the mask mandate. So the board met last week to look at the data, what our status was as a community. They did take public comment and they had a robust discussion about uh, potential changes, concerns people had, that kind of information. Uh, We looked at where we were. As I mentioned earlier, we are still in a level of high transmission. Things are better today than they were last week. But nonetheless, we still have a high level of transmission. As we kind of look ahead, we would estimate that that the earliest that we could meet that getting into blue with less than 50 cases per 100,000, probably the best we can hope for is around October 20th. So the board, after much discussion, voted and approved extending the current regulation in its current form through October 31st. The commissioners approved the extension unanimously. The commissioners discussed the Robertson Farm rezoning ordinance. Commissioner Penny Githens questioned the developers on the affordability of the houses which were initially planned to be $200,000 but are now being presented at $300,000 homes. During the public comment, housing and community development consultant Deborah Meyerson shared that she wishes for the commissioners to approve the development. Because the prices of houses in Monroe County are increasing due to a high demand and lack of available homes. Resident Patty Bush expressed concerns about the watershed and potential flooding that could be exasperated with more development. This petition site on a very steep hill proposes seven acres of impervious road surface and approximately 125 units with rooftops, driveways, and sidewalks. The proposed detention basins designed to meet the standard requirement only capture and slow peak flow release for Q100 events. They will not decrease the volume of runoff flowing into Clear Creek. The MS4 coordinator stated March 17, 2021, this infrastructure is not designed to hold rain events that exceed Q100. Similar to the rainfall of 2019 and 2021, and it's not, quote, practical, unquote, to build larger infrastructure. Commissioner Lee Jones made a comment that she appreciates the petitioner's work. However, it is not agreeable to her yet. I do still have a number of problems with it. Um, and while I know that these a number of these things seem to have been addressed, I don't think that they've been addressed in a way that is actually completely effective. Um, in particular, where drainage is concerned, I think, well, first, let me say that the comp plan was written in or was um, accepted in 2012. We have seen definite climate change since 2012. We see a whole lot more rain now. 
the experts say that the amount of rainfall has increased, I believe, by 16%, but it is not distributed throughout the year. That rainfall, that extra rainfall is almost all coming in the spring. And that's why we have a huge amount of flooding in the spring. Your drainage system is good for a 100 year rain event, which is commendable. Um, and I expect it probably would work for that. Yet I think that there will be a number of events that are well over 100-year rainfall events. The commissioners voted to deny the rezoning ordinance unanimously. The next commission meeting will be October 6th. On October 1st, the free application for federal student aid, better known as FAFSA, opened up to potential college students. WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission on Higher Education, about what you need to know before applying. Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education. Welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thank you, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. So, Allison, the FAFSA, or the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, opened last week for Hoosier families and students. Now, how much aid is there available for college students, and why do you think it's important to file a FAFSA. So there's um, $350 million in need-based aid that's available to um, Indiana students, but there's also overall $390 million in state financial aid. So there's a lot of money on the table that students can take advantage of. Um, really anyone who is interested in pursuing um, higher education for a variety of degree types, not just, um, you know, your associate or your bachelor's degrees, but also short-term certificates and um, even higher than a bachelor's degree, you should file a FAFSA. And, um, you know, it's not just to receive need-based aid as well. There are some community um, merit-based, and also institutional scholarships that require having a current FAFSA on file to apply. The FAFSA is required to qualify for many of the state's scholarship and grant opportunities, including the Frank O'Bannon grant and the Next Level Jobs Workforce grant. So would you describe each of those grants and who might be eligible for them? Let's talk about the Franco Bannon grant. So that is available to any, um, it's based off of financial needs. So that is determined from, again, filling out the FAFSA. You do have to be an Indiana resident and you also um, have to be going to an in-state college or university um, and being a uh, full-time student as well. So um, again, eligibility for that program is based off of financial needs. So that's a need-based 
um, grants. And unlike a loan, um, a grant is something that if you qualify for, you do not have to pay back. So that's important to note. Um, the next level jobs workforce ready grants that is available to individuals who have a high school diploma, but do not have a a higher education degree. And what that does, it provides um, full tuition and even covers some, um, some fees as well for any of Indiana's high growth fields. And so those fields are um, advanced manufacturing, building and construction, health and life sciences, IT and business services, and transportation and logistics. Um, again, to be eligible for that, you do have to have a FAFSA on file, but um, again, it, it's something that it is a grant. You do not have to pay back, and it completely covers that tuition, so it's a, it's a really great opportunity to skill up and to get a certificate in a high-growth, high-demand field. In general, students may be eligible for more financial aid than they realize, so would you touch on why you encourage folks to apply, even if some students don't think they qualify? Yeah, so as I mentioned, regardless of what your family income is, um, filing a FAFSA is so important because it's not just for need-based financial aid. Um, like the, the um, Next Level Jobs Workforce Ready Grant, that eligibility for that is not based on family income. It, you just have to have that FAFSA on file. Um, but again, there are some community, some merit-based, some institutional scholarships that require you having a current FAFSA on file. So even if you don't think that you're going to get need-based aid, still fill it out because it opens the door um, for many other scholarships that you could be eligible for but you just have to have that FAFSA on file in order to apply. Now, would you walk me through the process of filing a FAFSA? Yeah, so preparation is key to make your uh, FAFSA filing process go as smooth as possible. Um, so you want to get a couple of things in place before you actually go to the website to file. So one of the first things that you need is an FSA ID. You can fill that out. It's the Federal Student Aid ID. Um, if you don't have one of those, you can go to um, FAFSA.gov, and that will allow you to create that. Um, but once you have that, you should get a list of schools together that you are interested in applying to um, because you're able to send your FAFSA information to those schools. Um, one of the questions it asks what schools you want um, to send your info to, and you can just plug those in. You also need a social security number or the alien registration number if you're not a U.S. citizen. Then you need all of your financial information, so federal income tax returns, W-2s, and other records of money. And all of this is from 2020, so that's another thing to, um, to remember. So you've got your W-2 and all of that from 2020. Um, you also need bank statements and records of investments, if applicable, as well as records of untaxed income, if that's applicable as well. So once you have all of that information ready, you can go to FAFSA.gov, and you'll be able to walk through that process. 
you know, there's also an upcoming in-person FAFSA filing opportunity coming up at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Would you care to speak on that at all? We are so excited about this this opportunity. So um, representatives from the commission's uh, Learn More Indiana outreach team, they're going to be at the upcoming Innovation Showcase at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's on Saturday, October 23rd, between 10 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we're hosting this event in partnership with the Indiana Department of Education. And um, you'll, you'll be able to come on the track, have assistance uh, with filling out your FAFSA. And you also have an opportunity to uh, enter to win a College Choice 529 scholarship. So, um, you know, if you've ever had any uh, hopes of, of getting, a, getting uh, the opportunity to come on the track, that's your, your chance to do it. And you'll be there. Um, to get FAFSA help as well. I see. Now, Allison, is there anything else you would like to add before we part ways? Um, I would just say that the, the FAFSA can be daunting for, for some newcomers who may not have filed that in the past, especially you know, students and parents. But as I mentioned, preparation is key for that. So make sure you have all of your documents ready to fill it out. And if you do have any questions or need any help along the way, um, the U.S. Department of Education has email and also live chat assistance for all FAFSA files, as well as a helpline, which is uh, 800-4-FED and then AID. And if you also want help locally, you can reach out to our trusted partners at Invested Indiana at investedindiana.org. They're really great at walking um, parents and students through the FAFSA filing process. So don't let it uh, don't let it scare you or deter you. You'll be able to to get it through, and and we're here to help you along the way. Allison Cure. Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Hi, this is Anchor Don Guerra, and I wanted to speak with you about what anchoring the news means to me. Each Monday, I deliver trustworthy, community-focused news and information that highlights what's happening in the world around me. I appreciate the local news because it informs, inspires, and empowers my community, and it makes me proud to be part of the news division here at WFHB, reaching out to all of you in south-central Indiana and around the world. This is Nikki Stewart Ingersoll. To second Don's point, I am proud to be part of such a grassroots, volunteer-powered, and independent newscast. I just started anchoring on the local news, and I'm glad to be the latest addition to our wonderful array of voices on the news. It's accessible, it's accurate, it's informative, and most importantly, it's local. But in order to bring you the local news four nights a week, 30 minutes a day, we rely on the support of our listeners. So please, pledge today. You can make a safe and secure donation at wfhb.org by clicking the big red donate button. You can also give us a call at 812-323-1200 to make a donation over the phone. 
Help us reach the goal of $250 during this half hour to support the WFHB local news on your radio dial. Thank you for your time, and thank you for listening. listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. And I'm Don Guerra. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered listener-supported independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 